Well, we're continuing. This is the uh, fourth method, message in the series, Live and Learn. And what we've said each week is that uh, God's purpose for every human being in this life is that we first and foremost in this life by our own free choice reconnect with Christ our creator through trust. And then once we've reconnected with him, then we can start to grow and develop the way God intended and to become that Christ-like version of ourselves that God always intended us to be and do those Christ-like things that God intended us to do. And with that goal in mind, God has allowed us to, to have certain learning context. In other words, there are experiences that help us to grow, to learn at a sort of a heightened pace. And we've covered some of these already. We covered role models. We start out life, you know, learning from them. We looked at intentional learning where we consider something valuable enough to give our time and attention and effort to learn it. Last week, we looked at experimental learning. We just learn by trial and error. That can be a hard way, brings experience, some good, some bad. And now today and next week, we come to two forms of learning that I don't like and probably you don't like either. Uh, they are types of learning that we just as soon avoid, albeit they are places where we can learn things, derive development in areas that we cannot in any other way. Today, the one we deal with is adversity. Now, adversity, it just is what it is. It's when things don't go the way that we would like them to. It could be very minor adversity or, or very major. Likelihood is every one of us in here have in this past week gone through some adversity of one sort or another. I went through some very minor, very low league, uh, you know, junior league adversity. The reason I have this thing on my nose right now, uh, I, I was around my house, you have to do a lot of weed whacking and get a lot of rocks coming back in your face. And so I was doing the right thing, the right way, the right time with all the preparation, all the precautions. So I had this helmet on. I got this helmet with the ear flaps, you know, to protect your hearing. And it's got this metal screen so that when the rocks come back, they can't hit you in the face. So I'm doing everything by the book, you know. And so I'm weed whacking away merrily and feeling pretty good about what I'm getting done. And then I had to step across this little fence. And so as I was stepping across it, my back foot somehow hooked on it, and the next thing I know, my face was smacking the ground rather hard, and that protective metal screen was now working like a cheese grater on my nose. I kid you not. It's healed up a lot. Uh, it looked pretty, pretty gross earlier in the week. And it was one of those things, as soon as it happened, I felt the blood, and all I did was I just got up like a little boy and walked over to the deck and asked my wife, how bad is it? You know? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, so adversity. It happens. Uh, you know, there is a part of that story that's bugged me. I, I shared it with the staff. I don't know what my arms were doing. I mean, was I just like flailing around? I mean, all my life, my arms and my hands have protected me when I take a fall. They, they get out there somehow. And I mean, did they just go on strike and say, okay, big guy, you're on your own. Let your face take this one. <laughs> so laughable adversity. And we probably all have stories that we've had some adversity and it's kind of fun and funny. And then we've got stories that it's anything but funny. Uh, we might be in the, mixed, the, the midst excuse me, of some economic you know, adversity right now or some vocational adversity or worse of all probably relational adversity. Uh, could be physical, physical adversity, mental, emotional. We just don't know. 
The thing about it is it comes at any time that it chooses. It doesn't matter how protective we try to be. It doesn't matter how many safeguards we put in place. We can't avoid adversity. Now, what if this experience that we dread the most, that we dislike, that we try to avoid, that we we frankly consider it an enemy in a sense, what if even in this worst experience, go go ahead and get that phone. Somebody's ringing over here going off. you, it's probably important. Go ahead and get it. Uh, it's all right. Uh, what if even this worst of experiences, God the Creator reveals a secret to us showing that even the things that all human beings consider the worst, that if we learn, if we learn His secret, that there is something extraordinarily valuable to be derived from that which most humans consider the worst. What if for God's children, there's no longer a reason to be a slave to fear? What if for God's children, even adversity we could face, not like fools, like we welcome it or want it, but when it comes, we could face it with a different kind of a confidence because we know some things. We know that there are some valuable learning, developmental growth opportunities that cannot be had, frankly, in any other way. I think that would make a big difference. Back in uh, 1975, there was a study done. In fact, I'll share this with you. Uh, 1975, Salvador Matty, a psychologist at the University of Chicago, began to study the long-term impact of stress on employees at Illinois Bell Telephone Company. Now, this was interrupted in 1981 by something surprising. Many of you remember it was deregulation. Well, when deregulation came in, uh, 50% of the employees at Illinois Bell lost their jobs. 50% 50% gone. Think of a very large company and every other person loses their job. Here's what the results were. Some employees crashed and burned under the pressure, developing health problems and depression. Other employees thrived, finding a new sense of purpose and enhanced well-being. So what was the difference? What, what made the difference between those that crashed and burned and those that found an incense, or enhanced sense of purpose? A few things stood out about the people who thrived under stress. First, they thought about stress differently. That's what I want to, to offer to you today is to give to you, to give to myself afresh, the ability to think of stress through the lens of God's word so that we can actually think about it differently when it comes and it comes to all of us. We can't control it. They saw it as a normal, you got to get this part, they saw it as a normal aspect of life. And they didn't believe that it was possible or even desirable to have an entirely comfortable, safe life. Instead, they viewed stress as an opportunity to what? To grow. Pause. Ask yourself quietly. Do you view stress as an opportunity to grow? Probably most of us don't. Let's go on. He said, thrivers believed we must continue making choices. We keep on functioning. Ones that could change the situation, or if that wasn't possible, that could change how the situation affected them inside. If you can't change the outside, there's always one part that we can change. That's the inside And that's what God wants to help us to do. Now, there's one thing that we can learn immediately about adversity. The fact that none of us like it, none of us want it, 
it shows us, or can show us at least, that there's something terribly wrong with this world in which we live. It's not normal. Every human being that's ever lived, 105 billion of us that ever lived and died, none of us wanted adversity of any kind. Truth be told, we want every day to be a good day, and we want the one after that to be a better day. We don't want any trouble of any kind, and yet you know and I know we can't escape this stuff. And this should cause our hearts to cry out, to our creator that there's something wrong. This is not the way he designed life to be. And that's why we ache inside about it. And that's why we we resist it. And so if nothing else, it should cause us to see the need for our creator to be our savior to save us from these circumstances that are inevitable when human beings exercise free will in contradiction to their creator. This is the world we get, a world of adversity that can hit us at any time in any way. God is not present. He's not protecting everybody all the time. His will is not done by everybody on earth as it is in heaven. Hence, we live in a world where It doesn't matter how good or how godly. Some of you really need to hear this. No matter how good or how godly you are, adversity on all different levels can hit you or me at any different time. But adversity is something that I hope at the end of this message you will think about differently. And instead of fearing as a child of God, you'll no longer be a slave to fear, but you'll literally look adversity in the eye or through the eyes of God and you will not crazily welcome it, but you will will take the opportunity to leverage everything that there is possible in it to grow and to develop. And, And there's a lot. There really is. So let's start by just accepting its inevitability. It's inevitable for those that hate God. It's inevitable for those that love God. It's inevitable for the rich. It's inevitable for the poor. It's inevitable for the young or the old and everyone in between. Adversity finds every one of us because the world we live in is such. Listen to these words from Jesus. It was the last night that he was with his disciples. It started in John 13, 13 through 17. He's preparing them for what's going to happen. He lets them know he's going to be crucified. He's going to be betrayed. They're shattered. They're confused. And he's preparing them for the worst so that when it happens, when adversity of the worst sort happens, inwardly they will be prepared to adjust. Listen to his words. John 16, 33 said, I've told you these things. So that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you have what? Trouble and what? Suffering. It's inevitable. Adversity is inevitable. But take courage, he said. I have conquered the world. By conquered the world, Jesus meant that the world could not mold him, shape him, influence him, keep him in any way from fulfilling his mission, which was to fully reveal the Father's heart and put forth a revelation of God that would grip the hearts of human beings, putting within us again the ability to trust our Creator fully, freely, and forever. And, of course, he rose from the dead to show how much of a conqueror he was. He goes on. He started in the first verse explaining why he was telling them all the things that he told them in that last night. He said, I've told you all these things so that you will not what? Fall away. Now, I'm just curious. How many of you in here in your lifetime, you've known some people that that identified themselves as Christians, but you saw them, you witnessed it with your own eyes. You watched them turn away, fall away from Christ, and as far as you know, that's the new direction 
of their life, and that depicts their new character. How many have known some people that look like Christians, identify themselves, but they fell away altogether? Can I see your hands? Yes. And Jesus is saying that one of the reasons is that we don't have realistic expectations. Jesus said, in this world, we're going to have suffering, we're going to have challenges, we're going to have adversity. Listen to these words from Peter in chapter 4, verse 12. He says, dear dear friends, do not be astonished that a trial by fire is occurring among you as though something strange were happening to you. He's saying, followers of Jesus, you that love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, don't be astonished. Don't, Don't be shocked if adversity comes to you in all variety of forms. Fiery trial, as though something strange were happening to you. Such trials show the proven character of your what? Your faith. What, what, what is this getting at? Such trials show the proven character of your faith, which is much more valuable than gold, gold that is tested by fire, even though it is passing away, and will bring praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed, meaning our faith. It's saying here that, that sometimes there are those that think or portray themselves as having trust in Christ, faith in Christ, but the trial comes And it proves that their faith was not genuine. But when the trial comes and you stay faithful to Christ, it doesn't shake you. It keeps you drawing nearer to Christ and you stay faithful to him and to his word. Well, this is a purifying experience and your character develops and you grow strong and solid. But these trials, this adversity, very much has a way of testing our faith, but it's normative. It's something that we are going to go through in this world. Now, when the new world comes, when Jesus returns and establishes his eternal kingdom, there will never be any more adversity again. But in this life, God wants us to trust him enough and allow him to show us how we can derive benefit and and real significant learnings from adversity. There's a guy named Dr. Jamie Allen, and um, he's a psychologist, but he's a specialist in in, uh, disaster ministry. And he's had his own experience in it. Uh, Talk about bad timing. He moved into southern Mississippi just six days before Hurricane Katrina hit, demolishing his house. Um, After that, about eight years after that, and you can see from the picture, he's still a very young man. About eight years later, he was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. Uh, Good news is... He's in remission, you know, he's doing well and that kind of a thing. So he's a man that's had experience in some serious adversity himself, and he's a faithful follower of Christ. Now, he came across a man in one of his disaster excursions that he found to be the epitome of of what he kind of wished all believers in Christ would look like in adversity. Share what he said. He said, a colleague of mine employed to help with a relief agency after Superstorm Sandy, and she met a man whose roof had been blown away by gale-strength winds. The man surprised the relief team with an optimistic quip. Sometimes you have to lose the roof, he said, to see the stars. Now there is a man who knows how to find meaning, notice that, find meaning in loss, find meaning in adversity, My colleagues and I have interviewed and surveyed disaster survivors about their views of God in the wake of catastrophe. We have found that you can have two people who go through almost identical losses, one believing God saved them, while the other believes God is what? Punishing them. 
We're going to look at a passage in a minute, and we're going to see that one of the things about adversity that is so critical is that when you and I go through adversity, we have an accurate image of God, an accurate image of the Father and what his heart is like. Now, notice what that last portion said. It said that that two people, followers of Christ, go through the same kind of adversity, experience the same loss. One is thankful. Maybe it's a tornado that hits, takes their whole house away, and they're like, thank God, the Lord saved us. There was no loss of life. Hallelujah, we've been delivered, you know. He said the same Christian might go through it and say, God, what have I done wrong? Why are you punishing me? Why did you allow my house and all my years of saving pictures and important documents to be destroyed? Which, which would you be? Which would I be? I know who I'd be. Do you know who you'd be? Would you be the one blessing God, thanking God, regardless of the adversity and the loss? Or would you be confused? Would you be saying, God, I don't get it, you know? You know I've been trying. You know I've been really trying to align my life with your word and will. I I mean, I've been going to church every Sunday. I've been praying. I've been giving. I've been serving and and reading your word. I I, I don't understand. Why? Why did you let this happen to me? Why are you punishing me? Have I done something I don't understand wrong? Which would you be? Because it is critical that when adversity hits, you and I have a clear picture of the Father's heart toward us or we will we will become self-afflicting we we will punish ourselves with tormenting questions like that instead of joy that we might have so i want to take you to a passage of scripture now i want to go through it really thoroughly because it's going to show us some learnings that we can derive from adversity some learnings that we cannot derive in any other way they are very valuable learnings they are very worthwhile and so if you don't mind turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 it'll be page 1300 in the Bibles that are near you page 1300 and do turn there and follow with me it'll really make it more meaningful for you so it's page 1300 2 Corinthians chapter 1 while you're going there I'm going to give you a little background on 2 Corinthians when you come to this book it is the Apostle Paul who is writing to followers of Christ living in a city in Greece called Corinth. He had been there earlier and planted the church. In other words, he started talking to people about Christ. As people put their faith and trust in Christ and became his followers, he gathered them into a church. And now he had left them going to journeys to plant churches elsewhere, and he's writing a letter back to them. When Paul writes this letter, he himself had been a follower of Christ for 21 years. Eleven of those years he had spent as a missionary church planter, just traveling from place to place to place in the world of his day, preaching about Christ, gathering people together who followed him and making churches. Eleven years. Now here's the thing that's interesting. Should you sometime on your own, and I strongly urge you to do this, should you read chapter 11, verses 24 through 30, you will see this extraordinary list of adversity that this man Paul the greatest servant of God of his time, and I think any time, had already gone through in just 21 years. He would live about another 11 years more and ultimately be beheaded by Nero. But already in just 21 years, his list of adversity is stunning. It's, it's shocking, frankly. Most of us will never, in fact, let me just rephrase that. None of us will ever experience the adversity that this man did. But it's good for us to familiarize ourselves with it, to know that that you can be the apple of God's eye in the center of his will, his key servant, and still experience adversity. All right, let's dig into the text itself. 
He starts out, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And I'm going to stop there and unpack that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you and I go through adversity, it is critical that our image of the Father of God is clear. It's got to be the image that Jesus revealed. Jesus revealed the Father the way God's heart really is to humankind. You know, the, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they were harsh and cruel, and they gave this notion that God was harsh and cruel, and that he had favorites, and that if you were ceremonially pure and interested, he liked you. But if you were just a pretty ordinary person struggling with your own personal sin, he despised you. Jesus came and upset all of that. He showed that God loved people, every kind of person, every kind of broken life, every kind of sinner, that they were all important to the Father, that he loved them all, wanted desperately to restore them and bring them to a trust in himself again so they could be restored. When I go through adversity and you go through adversity, you best make sure that your image of God is accurate because if you've got a notion of a cold-hearted, uh, scrutinizing, judgmental, meticulous God, then you're going to be one of those people that thinks that the adversity is his punishment, his displeasure. And you're going to be going through the internal agony of wondering, you know, what did I do? What didn't I do? You know, how, how can I fix this? What? And, and so you need to know that it's the Father that Jesus revealed who is with you, who is for you, who loves you eternally when you and I go through adversity. So Paul starts there. Let's go to verse 4. So this Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles. So he comforts us not in some of our troubles, but in all of our troubles so that we may be able to comfort those experiencing any trouble with the comfort comfort with which we ourselves are comforted. Now, that's a little bit of a tongue twister, so I want to show you this in another version, how it sounds. All praise to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles. Why, Lord? Why do you comfort us in all of our troubles? So that we can do what? Comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Now this tells us two things. It says, first of all, that there's never a, a piece of adversity that you and I experience. There's never a trouble that we experience, but that God's comfort is available to us. And you might ask, well, what form does it take, Randy? Well, it doesn't tell us there, but it could take the form that God just reminds us in his word that we're his child, that he loves us, that he's never going to leave us and forsake us, that he's going to help us to grow and to become the very image of his son. It could be that he reminds us that heaven is a sure thing. It's a real place and a real dimension. It will be eternal. Jesus rose from the grave. It could be a lot of ways that he comforts us. He might comfort us by bringing one of his fellow children into our lives that just have that way of saying or not saying the right thing at the right time and giving us just that little bit of courage that we need to go on. But it does say this, that God's comfort is always available all peep to all people if we'll open ourselves to see God as the Father that he is. But then the second part says something very interesting. It says that, that the comfort we receive is essentially preparing us, equipping us, training us, enabling us to have, I'm not going to answer it yet. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever felt like, man, I don't know what, I don't know what 
kind of service or ministry I'm, I'm fit for or good for. I, I mean, I know God equips other people, and he gives them gifts and things, and I, and I, I, I see them do things. And, but I don't, know, I don't know what he's specially tra- I can't look at anything, Randy, and say that he has especially trained and equipped me for ministry. How many of you, let's be honest for a moment, you're a little bit confused. You feel like, I'm not sure that God's trained or equipped me for a specialized ministry of any sort. Can I see your hands? Go ahead, put them high. Don't be, don't be fearful. It's, not, it's not, nothing to be ashamed of, to be confused about that. Well, what if? You re, did you hear what that scripture said? It said that if you've gone through a trouble, some adversity, and God has gotten you through it, he has somehow brought you through, he somehow comforted you, you're alive, you're breathing, that you now are uniquely trained and equipped to come alongside somebody else who is going through the same kind of struggle, the same kind of adversity. You are trained by God. You are equipped by God that you can comfort them in a unique way. We all know this by experience. Look, if you're talking to somebody, let, let's say you just went through an economic uh, upside-down situation. Man, you, you bankrupted. You, you lost it all. You were doing the right things, but everything went wrong, and now you're stone broke. You don't know what you're going to do. You're scared. You're feeling all kinds of confusing emotions. Who do you want to be counseled by? But somebody that's so wealthy that they've never known any kind of feelings like you're feeling in their life, or would you rather be counseled by somebody that, like you, had it all together and then lost it all, but now they're moving back toward level ground? We all know the answer. I want to be counseled by the person that's lost it all. Why? Because they instantly know my heart. They know my feelings. You experience this. I experience this all the time. When I talk to people, certain experiences they've had that I have not had, I can't touch their heart. But then there's many a time they know I've been there. They know I I know the language and the feelings of their heart. And I have a unique ministry preparation for them. So do you. But, But you didn't really think about it. You didn't think that just going through some adversity... And experiencing God's sustaining power equipped you. It was meant to school you. It was meant to make you start praying, Lord, I, I want to come across the path of other people who have gone through or are going through the same kind of thing that I'm going through or went through so that just the way you brought me through and comforted me, I, I want to do that, man. I want to comfort them. That's a learning that God gives to us through adversity. Can't get that any other way. Let's go on. Verse 5. He says, for, for just as the sufferings of Christ overflow toward us, meaning that as he sought to present Christ to people in his day and age, he, he was persecuted often. Just as the sufferings of Christ overflow toward us, so also our comfort through Christ overflows to you. Paul's sufferings was bringing benefit to the Corinthians. He was establishing them in Christ. Verse 6. But if we're afflicted, It's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort that you experience in your patient endurance the same sufferings that we also suffer. And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you share in our suffering, so also you will share in our comfort. Now he's going to turn the corner in verse 8 and 9. And he's going to talk about a different degree of adversity. And it's a degree of adversity that some of us, maybe many of us have experienced. For we do not want you... To be unaware, brothers and sisters, regarding the affliction, it is the word there for tribulation. Philipsis is the the exact word, Greek word, uh, 
we hear, think of that term, great tribulation. That's the term for, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, regarding the affliction that happened to us in the province of Asia. Nowhere in the book of Acts or in any elsewhere in Scripture are we told exactly what happened to Paul, but the Corinthians evidently knew. He says, we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of living. Indeed, we felt as if the sentence of death had been passed against us. Why, Paul? Why, why would God let you? Come on, man. You're his servant. Why? You're his child. Why would he let you go through this? Why would he let you get so deep under adversity that you feel like you're, you're just going to die? That's what he was saying there. He's saying that I don't, I don't know if I'm going to make it another 24 hours. The pressure, the stress, the pain, it, it's too much. I don't think I can bear another 24 hours. And then he starts wondering. He says, God, are are you calling me home? That's what he meant there by, I, th- I wondered if there was a death sentence given. He thought maybe God was saying, this is the end of your life, Paul. You're going to die. You're going to come home. That's how bad, that's how overwhelmed. That's how at the end of his rope he was. But why? Why, Lord? Why, why, why would you let your choice servant um, come to the end of his rope and have these horrific feelings? Why so much adversity? Look at what it goes on to say. Go back to verse 9. Indeed, we felt as if the sentence of death had been passed against us. Why, Lord, why? So that we would not trust in who? Ourselves. But in who raises the dead. Now, Now, Paul is saying, I learned something. I learned something. I was so overwhelmed I'd just as soon die rather than live anymore with the pressure and the pain that I was enduring. But I found that when I was completely exhausted of all my resources, some of you know just what I'm talking about. You've been there. I have been there. When, when you're just exhausted, you are at the end of yourself. And it's only when you come to that place, frankly, that you can find this secret, you suddenly find that this power of God that you didn't even know was possible or a reality it somehow sustains you it somehow energizes you it somehow stabilizes you it might just stabilize you don't get me wrong from second to second and minute to minute but it keeps on going and you start moving a little more steady and you get a little stronger and you're getting a little healthier and all of a sudden you've learned a secret a secret that makes you no longer a slave to fear you see once we go through fear once we go through the hardest of things You can't help but to get a little bit more bold. You can't help but to get a little more confident and bold, but not in ourselves. You get confident and bold in Christ. You start feeling like, you know, I don't give a rip what life dishes out to me or the devil himself. My God is with me. He is faithful. He will sustain me. And when I come to the very end of myself, I'm able because of the intense energy that I feel to connect with him in a way that I cannot connect with him at any other time. And I find the secret... He's there, and he is mighty to sustain me when I'm completely broken and helpless and beaten. And I know some of you have experienced that. And that is a prize learning in life because it'll make you a courageous, confident, tender, humble servant of Christ that walks through this life with a different kind of a beauty and a different kind of a confidence, not in herself, confidence in Christ. And that's well worth, well worth going through the experience. And let me share a little something with you. We had a real time in the first service with this. Um, 
when I did this, let me see if the surprise is there. Nope, no surprise this time. Last service, it was upside down. <laughs> Everybody got a real charge at that. I said, there you go, it was adversity. We planned it that way. Uh, wish we had a. Here we have it. Adversity brings valuable opportunities. And I might add a little something. Adversity brings valuable learning, learning opportunities. I learned that God is a father whoever is on my side to comfort me. I learn by going through the experience that I now have training that I can comfort another human being who's going through the same kind of experience. I learn that if life dishes the worst to me and smashes me to the canvas and I'm gone, no, no resources left, my God will raise me up. And you got to experience this to derive the benefit. And, and so... The thing that we hate the most, adversity, becomes something that we're no longer needing to hate or be afraid of. And I'm not saying we become foolish and we welcome it and we run headlong into it. But when it does arrive, we don't have to think about it the same way. And we read earlier that when you think about stress or adversity differently, it doesn't have the same effect on you physiologically, mentally, or emotionally. So let's leverage the potential that adversity brings. Listen to these words from James. James chapter 1. The thing that we all want to do when adversity comes is we want to run from it. I want to run from it. You want to run from it. But James tells us don't do that. He says don't run from the tests and the hardships, from the trials, from the difficulties, from the adversity. He says don't run from it, brothers and sisters. As difficult as they are, you will ultimately, that word is important, not immediately, ultimately Find joy in them if you embrace them. Your faith will blossom under pressure and teach you true patience as you endure. And true patience brought on by endurance will equip you to complete the long journey and cross the finish line. This journey in this life of being faithful to God and becoming everything that he meant us to become and doing what he meant us to do, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. A lot of people start out fast and crash. He says, you'll complete the long journey, cross the finish line, and this is what these tests and hardships will bring. Maturity. That means Christ-like character development. I become the Christ-like version of myself. Completeness and wanting nothing. I'm equipped to serve God and to serve man. I'm equipped now to love God and to love man. That's worth going through adversity. Here's what I found the hard way. I found that going through some of the worst experiences in my life that shattered me, confused me, broke me down, I didn't know what it was going to bring, but what it ultimately brought, just like James said, it ultimately brought to me joy, but here's why. Not the experience it was what it brought later because in my case, it will be different for all of us. In my case, it allowed me to feel. I, I was unable to feel some things that I wanted to feel as a normal, healthy human being. It allowed compassion and tenderheartedness and a lot of virtues that as a follower of Christ, I wanted desperately. I knew that God wanted me to have them, but I kind of kept bouncing off the ceiling. I, I was trying to cooperate with God, but it just wasn't there. But I came through these things, and all of a sudden, the brokenness, the brokenness, it, it brought a couple things. First of all, it brought humiliation. Not humility, humiliation. And from humiliation came humility. And from humility came compassion and tenderness and a host of other experiences that I wouldn't trade for anything. 
Randy, you're saying that, that, that you, you like going through things? No, I don't like them. I'm not, not at all. I still have the tendency to want to run, but I hope that I can remember what James says, don't run. I hope I can remember my experience. I think I will. I know I will, frankly, that there's something to be learned that is extraordinarily valuable. Let me share um, another little piece, a quote from a man named Ronald Rollheiser. He says this in a book called Sacred Fire, written in 2014, about, he uses the term crisis, I'm going to call it adversity. Crisis of every kind, or adversity of every kind, will find us. We've already passed that. But these crises enter our lives not just as challenges to us to retain our balance and stability, but as invitations to stretch our hearts and minds. Every crisis includes within itself an invitation for us to move from being good people to becoming what kind of people? Now, I ask this in the first service. I won't ask you, but I hope you have a burning desire in your heart to be great people. And by great, I mean godly people, Christ-like people, loving people, people that put their life out there every day to try to let others know who Christ is and what life is about and who give and serve. I, I hope that you will be restless to be nothing less than great people, not just good people. My dog is good, right? But you, you don't know my dog, but my dog is good. <laughs> but you made in the image of God you gotta, you, gotta, you got to be restless. You can be great. You are meant to be extraordinarily, stunningly beautiful people. And you can be. It's not too late for any of us. And these experiences, this adversity, can be the invitation into these experiences. One more passage from the book of Hebrews. It says, endure your sufferings, endure your adversity, as discipline. In other words, take it as training, as a training regimen. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there that the father does not discipline? Now, all discipline seems painful at the time, not joyful, but later it produces the fruit of peace and righteousness for those trained by it. So, it's kind of like, you know, Football season is just around the corner, and so, you know, summer training is going to start. And so these, these men, these professional athletes, are going to be driven to their limits. Uh, they're, they're, they're going to practice in hard weather under harsh conditions, driven to their limits. Sometimes they're going to get sick right on the playing field. Why do they go through this? Because they know it is training them, it is strengthening them, it is equipping them to function at the highest level in something that they want to function at. That's the way you and I should look at adversity. It's training. It's building spiritual, mental, emotional muscles so that we can play at the highest level for the kingdom of God. There's a lady named Kelly McGonigal who uh, is a health psychologist and she specializes in stress. In fact, there's a, a TED Talk you can catch of hers on YouTube and I strongly urge you to do so. It's only a 17-minute talk. But in it, she talks about a study that was done at the University of Wisconsin. They studied 30,000 people for eight years um, as to how they responded to stress. And what they found is that people with a lot of stress during this eight-year study, that 43% of them with a lot of stress, they, they died. They died early. Except, but, and here's the second part, but only if they believed Stress was harmful. Now, how many of you, all your life, you've heard stress is harmful? Can I see your hands? 
<laughs> we, we hear it all the time. She herself acknowledges in her talk. She taught it for years herself. Got to limit your stress. Got to get rid of your stress. It's harmful. She has now learned from pure, hard, statistical study that is, in fact, not so. What is so is that if you believe it's harmful, God tells us in his word. Here he's told us 2,000 years ago. It's not harmful. If you know the Father, it's not harmful if you understand that it's equipping you to comfort somebody else. It's not harmful if you know that no matter how bad it gets, God's going to be there and raise you from the dead again. If you know the right things about it, that it's training you and equipping you, it's not harmful. Listen, they even know that when you don't believe that it's harmful, literally a different chemical is released in your body. Oxytocin is released, and it literally guards your heart from damage. If you think it's harmful, that's not released, and you get damaged, and you die early from stress. So this message could save your life, literally. <laughs> Let me close with a story that is very counterintuitive, and everything that I've shared with you today is kind of counterintuitive. Uh, it's a story that, that comes from back in the uh, 70s. It's a guy named Joe Simpson, who's a well-known mountaineer. In fact, he wrote a book uh, called Touching the Void, and they actually made a movie about it. And the story is about he and a buddy named Simon Yates. They're both from England. They were in the Peruvian Andes, uh, a, a mountain called the Ciula Grande, 20,000 500 feet high, that's way higher than I ever want to be, you know, unless I'm in a vehicle or something. And um, nobody's climbed this thing to the summit, and some guys made it partially up back in the 30s, but they decided to do it. Well, they did it. They made it to the summit of this thing, and I, I should have added in, this is an ice-covered mountain. It is severe conditions. You're not just climbing a mountain almost straight up and down. It's ice-covered. So they get up there, they summit celebration everything's going good so now they're making their way back down to base camp as they're going down something goes wrong and Simon Yates feels Joe Simpson falling 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 well they're hooked together he puts the stop on the thing and now he sees his buddy is just dangling like this in space and he's holding as long as hard as he can and trying to pull him up can't budge can't get him up and so when he's losing feeling in his hands he finally comes to the hard decision to cut his friend loose. And Joe Simpson falls a hundred feet into an ice crevasse. That's, that's kind of a crack in a glacier, you know, that, that's been there. And he falls a hundred feet on his back, shattering his leg. So there he is, a hundred feet down in this crevasse with a broken leg. Well, every instinct in him is to climb back to the surface because this is, this is an ice tomb. And so he quickly comes to the realization he can't, no matter how much he desperately wants to get back up, he can't. And then he comes to the unthinkable. What if he just goes deeper, deeper into the crevasse? What if he just goes as deep as this thing will take him in the desperate hope that maybe it doesn't close up at the bottom, which would be normative, but for some reason or another, there's an opening at the bottom, so against every instinct for survival in his body, he goes deeper into this adversity. And, of course, it worked because he wrote the book and they made a movie. <laughs> now, it is against every instinct for you and I, when adversity comes, to instead of running from it, trying to find some way to cope, uh, playing around with some mood-altering temptation or whatever, it, it, it goes against every intuitive notion to go deeper into it. To say, I'm going to... I'm 
feel the full brunt of this thing. I'm not going to run away from it. I'm going to move into it. I'm going to stand under it. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to see about his ability to comfort me. I'm going to get the learnings that can be learned from this. I'm going to leverage the potential to learn and to develop and grow because I now know something about the worst that life can dish out. And I'm going to stand in this adversity and let my God do things in me that he could not do in me in any other way. And I'm going to just trust him. And I'm going to just wait and be faithful to him and to his word. Will you, will I, do that the next time we face adversity, real adversity? You see, if we do, they'll be writing stories about us someday in heaven. They'll be saying, that's the one that stood faithful to God and his word. That's the one that grew amazingly beautiful because No matter what adversity they experienced, they trusted God, they drew from his comfort, they learned to use it to help others. Which story will yours be? Which story will mine be? Here's what I'm really hoping. I'm hoping that the next time you go through adversity, you'll hit the pause and you'll stop the panicky thoughts in your mind for a minute and you and I will say to ourselves, wait a minute, God is with me, he has not forsaken me, he is for me, he is not against me. He wants to teach me something. He wants me to learn. He wants me to develop. I'm going to go deeper into this thing. And I'm going to wait for the the beautiful outcome. I hope that you'll make a resolve. I hope you'll make a decision today. That's the way you'll face adversity from now on. Because now you know the secret. Some of you here, some of you here, you've faced enough adversity in life. And some of it's been unnecessary because you're off the way you're trying to figure life out instead of returning to Christ your creator putting your faith in him following him fully so that he can enable you to live as you were created to live maybe this is the day that you will make a thinking decision to put your trust in Christ and become his follower somebody does that here nearly every Sunday I hope maybe this is the Sunday for someone in here today let's pray Father we thank you that this experience we dread the most often fear the most we no longer need to be slaves to fear because as your children we can look even the worst even adversity in the face and know that it's a place it's a classroom where you will mold us shape us and equip us we thank you for this certainty father in the name of your son the lord jesus christ